1: Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 finals. all thanks to McDonald's. Makers, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Directing traffic from the base of the ruck, it's Justin Marshall and Ricardo Ball with the rugby run on ESPNZ.
2: It's just gone one o'clock here on SENZ. This is the Rugby Run. Ricardo Ball and Justin Marshall with you through till 2.30. G'day, Marshy. How you doing?
0: Good afternoon, Ricardo. Good afternoon to everyone joining us for uh, the Rugby Run. Uh, I'm doing really well. Uh, I just got home um, this morning from uh, the semi final in Christchurch uh, last night, which has secured uh, Canterbury, obviously, a place in, in the final uh, next weekend against uh, a very... Fluid and impressive Wellington uh, team at the moment um, and what a great season for Bay of Plenty as well. Hell of a good story. Uh, unfortunately, they have bowed out but uh, really good to see a, a province that is not a superpower really of, um, you know, basically franchise style rugby uh, compete so well uh, throughout the entire competition and equally uh, get through to a semi-final and still play their part in a, in a semi-final against a very good Canterbury side.
2: Yeah, I thought they, they went really well. I mean, how much do you reckon they missed Caleb Trask, though? Because uh, they left a few points out there earlier, didn't they, particularly that first half?
0: Yeah, they did. A- and that's the danger when you get to knock out rugby, that you, you probably go away a little bit from your DNA. When you when you lose a key player like Caleb Trask, who has been in sensational form for them, um, that, that certainly is always going to have an effect. Uh, but you know, I, I certainly feel that they still had, you know, the balance of the side that you know has performed so well throughout the season. So you know, you, you lose one player, but you've got to you've got to plug that hole. And I certainly think that that didn't cost them the game. I believe that probably when they relook at that um, once they've got through probably a week of being on the beers, <laughs> which you tend to do <laughs> after you've 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 had a had a season uh, and and you you're winding down. Uh, They'll probably regret the 40 minutes that that the first 40 minutes that they played. I think they went away from what has made them good all year, which has been playing a certain style and playing, you know, I guess with an attitude that you hear a lot of the players talked about after the game. And that attitude is about love, training, and playing in the bay, going fishing during the week. Um, You know, uh, the environment we got is a uh, that we have is a great environment, and you know, everybody just uh, plays. Accordingly, in terms of that, like um, you know, that expressive style of game, and and they went quite defensive last night in that first 40 minutes, and didn't accumulate or put Canterbury under enough pressure. So that that would probably be their one regret, I think, out of the entire season.
2: Did you think? I mean, early they they actually dominated the Canterbury Ford Pack at set piece as well yep. a, a, a bit. I mean, that'll be something for for the Cantabs to be a little bit worried about, given how well the Wellington scrum went.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, they'll look at that though, Canterbury being the type of outfit that they are, and they, and they do pride themselves in that area, whether it be the scrum or line-out or more defence. That, that's a big part of uh, their DNA, is, is making sure that they have at least parity, and usually, if not more, when when you think of any Canterbury uh, Crusaders side. Uh, so that, they'll be a little bit hurt from the fact they got shoved around, particularly in that first half. And I thought they lost the breakdown in the first half as well. Uh, physically and technically, I thought they were off, and Bay of Plenty were much, much better in that area. So they'll address that as well. Uh, but it certainly uh, probably reinforces to me that that a side that was dominating in those two to three areas and had plenty of opportunities to to kick down into the 22 and and, and apply pressure in that half with a good scrum and and you know a very good line out. They got some exponents here, you know, um, Selby Ricketts. Mm. No, Minow. They went to him a lot. Sangster's very good. Uh, they had great line-out um, options with Arcoy as well. So the fact that they they you know tried to kick long range penalty goals and instead of you know going out there and you, you know you've got to win semi finals. You can't sit back and allow the opposition to allow you to win them. You've got to go out and grab the game by the scruff of the neck. So yeah, off the back of your point, when when your set piece is going that well, flex your muscles, use it, and and I don't feel that they did and. Um, unfortunately, that was always going to catch up with them because you know, Canterbury were always going to get in at half-time and probably get a bit of a telling off, a few chairs kicked around the changing shed and, and come out slightly different in, in all of those areas in the second half. And You've got to get them when they're vulnerable because Canterbury, Canterbury teams will always adjust.
2: Was this uh, a statement to the um, All Black selectors as well from Fergus Burke? He was huge, wasn't he? A couple of show-and-go tries, kicked all the points, did everything right.
0: Yeah, it's a good point, Ricardo. I think there was a few players out there that that were unlucky not to be uh, selected, and and there a few players that were probably considered to be lucky. You know, that front row battle was one of them. Mm. Um, you know, the Kurt Eklund, you know, probably one of the unluckiest players to miss out on both uh, the All Blacks and that um, AB's fifteen. Uh, and I certainly felt that um, he probably had the wood over. Both of his opponents, albeit I did think that um, George Bell, when he came on, was was very very good for Canterbury. Uh, you know, he, he's he's a real prospect, and I think that's why he's going. Um, but you know, uh, certainly Muffilio as well. You know, that front row of Bay was very very good. Um, but yeah, then you look at you know where 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 is the future, and and why, why did they pick the side that they? They did, uh, the All Black Selectors, did they pick it because they wanted to just go win two games? Mm. To me, I think there's a big part of that side that uh, has, is showing that in particular because they, they, they've got two tough challenges because they know what they can get out of TJ and Brad. They know what they can get out of Damian McKenzie. They know what they can get out of a lot of players like Billy Harmon. even with the greatest respect. They know the types of players they are. They didn't, you know, go and probably reward some players um, like Eklund like, and, and then... Equally off the off the same, um, I guess spinning wheel. Uh, uh, Fergus Burke, who's you know who, who is the next cab off the, the rank after Peter Um You know, is it Damien McKenzie uh, or do we still need to see see and see where these players? What I'm basically saying is, putting Fergus Burke in that side, if he is mm. the fourth or fifth best ten in this country, I prefer them to do that and what they have done in the past was say, Brett Cameron, and have the guy capped for the All Blacks. And it's like, oh, but he's never, ever played again. He's never, ever been in the environment again. And that, that's across the board. They, the All Blacks were very guilty of doing that quite a lot, of giving guys test matches because they couldn't find out any other way if they could step up. And this is a perfect environment for the, for them to do that, yet they've named a lot of players they know a hell of a lot about that aren't young.
2: Yeah, it's not really a development team, is it? It's, I mean, the fact nah. that Bryce Heme is in there at 33, uh, and that's nothing yeah. against Bryce. I mean, he's had a really good season. Nah. This looks very much yeah. like we need to win next year's World Cup. So everybody that we take to the Northern Hemisphere, regardless of what squad, needs to be able to play in that in that tournament if needed.
0: And, and is that smart, Ricardo? Because what's going to happen is there's going to be a mass exodus exodus after the Rugby World Cup because of the age of the the, the all-black squad at the moment. Uh, And so, you know, you need to find out about guys like Fabian Holland because there won't be any white lock and there won't be any retaliate. It's as simple as that. You know what you're going to get out of Scott Barrett. um, But, you know, is that from the blind side of lock? But is there any harm in taking him away instead of Patrick Tuipolotu, who they know everything about? Yeah. You know, like, and, and I just wonder whether or not they probably got out of this side what they really required which was stepping stone to are these guys uh what we are looking for and equally, do we have to give out test caps to find out if that answer to that is no? Yeah. And and I certainly don't feel that we should be going down that pathway.
2: No, and I and I think that's probably something that we haven't had for a long time is this all-black development team or all-black 15, whatever you want to call it. And it I mean, it needs yep. to not just be a World Cup year thing, though. It needs to be something they invest in every year to bring that next tier through. Um, rather, 100% agree. Know, yeah.
0: Yeah, and, and because of the lack of uh, under-20s rugby recently because of COVID, You know, there's been a little bit of a a gap in in our progression. And I I love it because that's how I was um, basically uh, looked into uh, to to get an opportunity to be seen to make my next step to the All Blacks. I went on the uh, 1994, uh, basically, All Blacks. Well, I think we were called New Zealand A, or I can't remember how we were called. We went to Argentina. I've spoken about this before, Mm. and it was basically all the All Blacks reserves or guys were just out of the the 21 players at that stage, it was uh, with Laurie Maines overseeing it but not coaching the tour. And it was, I think it was called a New Zealand development team, actually. And yeah, it was a brilliant opportunity to test yourself but to walk in the footsteps of All Blacks for me as a youngster. I was only 20 at the time. Uh, and, And yeah, I think absolutely we need to have games. And teams like this in our calendar a lot more.
2: Uh, Graham is uh, called through on oh eight hundred one five oh eight eleven. Graham, uh, just quickly, what was it that you wanted to talk to marshy about?
3: Oh, I just um, just a, oh, a couple of things. <laughs> I won't hold you up. Um, yeah, I was at the game last night. Of course, the Canterbury Bay of Plenty game here. Yeah, I just reiterate what you know Justin said about um, Fergus Burke. You know, I think he uh, was really outstanding. Yeah, no, I'm very unlucky. Well, they yeah they. But you know they've done a bit of inconsistency, but that's, that's selectors for you. You know they do what they want to do. And um, but yeah, Fergus Burke really did put on a you know a masterclass last night. And um, and you know the Bay of Plenty loose forwards, you know did did play well. But I think Tom Christie, especially in the second half, you know came into his four. He's another one who um, I know there's a lot of Canterbury forwards in that. Um, New Zealand A team, but yeah, no, it was a good game. Go- I mean, I thought of Plenty would be tough, and yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I didn't expect anything less, actually, and um, the game was, yeah, I was just really pleased with, <laughs> obviously, Canterbury winning and getting, getting through to the first final in four years, so yeah, no, you obviously, you're one of the commentators, Justin, so <laughs> you were yeah. there. Yeah,
0: no, just wondering off the back of what you said, Graham, about, it'd be interesting to get your thoughts, because you've obviously seen his progression, whether he's a not, not a victim of the way that the, the, the thinking towards all black loose forwards are going to be in the future. Because he is he is off the mould to a degree of Richie McCoy. You know, he's a tackling machine. He gets over the ball. He carries a bit, but in general, he's not old, old school, but he's that, that stereotypical gen, gen, genuine open side flanker. Um, and that's the position he plays. Rather than be big, strong... Uh, carries hard but probably doesn't get as many turnovers which is where the evolution of loose forwards has gone do you think that that's because I can't think of any other reason he's not on that well yeah I I think you're right yeah he's he's in too good a form
3: oh yeah I think you're right I think stylistically you have summed them up very well and yeah they've sort of gone with multi-purpose type sevens you know Mm. I mean Ethan Blackadder got used I mean we've all got a lot of time for him but you know he was playing seven sometimes for the Crusaders before he got injured um, um, well, yeah, they moved them around quite a bit. Actually, Tom was played a lot, but yeah, they depended on the opposition. You know, with the Crusaders, they had Tom Christie sometimes at seven, and sometimes it was yeah. Blackadder from memory. Yeah, starting yeah. so, but yeah, no, yeah, but he's, yeah, he's, he, yeah, you know, he he isn't a specialist. Uh, I mean, he is a specialist. He's not a um, you know, a multi-purpose loose forward, which they which they go towards, but. I think, against really good opposition, you know, like the English and French, you know, all the ones we talk about, New Zealanders talk about obsessively all the time, you know. Um, you know, getting those turnovers is important and having that core role, yep. which uh, Tom Christie does play. So, I mean, Billy Harmon's playing well, but he's a bit more of a ball carrier of but...
2: yeah, it. I think the thing with uh, Christie that we'll find is he's just a bit too small. Um. At the end of the day, he's he's six one hundred and five kilos, and the guys going to be guys he's going to be competing at at national uh, international level are going to be two to three inches taller, and they're probably going to be about ten kilos heavier, and that's going to make a big difference. Wow. You know, yeah.
0: When you look at Kremer for yeah. Argentina, who plays open side, what well, Dalton Man, Papali, Papali or Ethan
2: Blackadder, you know those guys. You look at the size <laughs> of those guys. You know, the are the other options there. Yeah. Yeah, all right, Graham. thanks very much for your call, mate. It is uh, 14 past one here on SENZ, the Rugby Run. Uh, We are going to catch up with Mehdi Baker, a commentator on the Women's Rugby World Cup, next to preview the Ferns. Their game kicks off later on this afternoon on Spark Sport against the Welsh. It's 18 past one here on the Rugby Run on SENZ, and joining us to talk uh, Women's Rugby World Cup is Mehdi Baker, commentator, former Kiwi Fern and Aotearoa Sevens player as well. Uh, G'day, Mehdi, how are you?
4: Yeah, now pretty good, uh, loving the World Cup, um, very entertaining and it's probably the best World Cup I've seen for a while, so it's good, it's good.
2: Yeah, it's good, we've got a live game at the moment actually, half an hour in Canada, lead Italy 7-5 and a bit of an arm wrestle. Mary, uh we've got the uh, the Ferns take on Wales uh, later this afternoon, we'll talk about that shortly, but uh, should cover off the other two teams in that group played yesterday and uh, boy, the Aussies. They were lucky. They finished with thirteen. I know the rugby league World Cup started, but it's probably taking it a bit far. Finished with thirteen against Scotland yesterday, and only just hung on.
4: Yeah, they did, didn't they? They just really did, and and it shows like that the Northern Hemisphere have really improved um, with their Six Nations, and the likes of Scotland and Wales have got a couple of the, They've also been playing in the English Premiership a lot of those players, and they're getting paid. So it's it, it's showing. This World Cup is actually showing that if you put the resources in, if you pay to your players, then the the gap's gonna widen and it and it showed against if you look at the USA and Canada, for me they've been pretty good. Northern like the North American teams have been really good throughout the World Cups. But I've just found that when I've been watching those teams and the difference between, you know, your Lodge like, of Wales and your Scottish teams, you know, Scotland's pretty unlucky if you ask me, but Um, they just look as though that they've had the resources put in them and they're doing really well.
0: Mitty, thanks for joining us. Hey, uh, the big game yesterday, uh, England uh, taking on France, obviously. Uh, That was a low-scoring game and a hell of a physical battle, wasn't it? What did you make of it?
4: Oh, I loved it. Um, France, I thought, were absolutely outstanding on defence. And and it did, um, I guess it opened up some sinks in England's armour as well. It showed that if you apply enough pressure around that ruck area and if you make sure those one-on-one tackles are physical and you're pushing them back, you can actually put them on a lot of pressure and they're a little bit human. Um, You know, um, that was great. It was a great game to watch. There's one thing that is the difference. I think New Zealand, the Black Ferns can take a little bit from that is that they do kick a lot. And for me, if we leave Ruby Tui down at the at fullback, we might be able to counterattack that and turn that into a transition of an opportunity to attack everything on them.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because uh, you, you talked, uh, I think, last time I had you on, Miri, about Ruby Tui and said that the reason you thought she was on the wing rather than fullback was her lack of uh, maybe positional awareness in 15s versus sevens. Do um, you think they've they've managed to address that?
4: Yeah, I would say that we'd say done a little bit early for her, but you know, she's you know, if you you read her a book, if you get her a book this week or anything like that, have a read in there and she's always up for a challenge. Um, and I think that's what she's done. She said, Yeah, give it to me, give me the fifteen jersey. I think on the on the um also the she had an interview and she said, I'll oh, look out props, I'll probably take your position as well. I thought <laughs> I think for Ruby, it's it's all about um, wearing the jersey, doing doing justice to it. And, um, yes, yeah, she may... I think they need to leave her there for the rest of the tournament if they're going to do it. Um, leave her there for the rest of the tournament so she can get those games in. Because as those games get a little bit harder, you're going to come up against teams like the, the, the French and, and maybe England who kick a lot. And that's where I think we might... If Ruby can get that right... You'll be able to counterattack that.
2: Uh, the Welsh today are going to give the Ferns a different uh, challenge. I mean, they've only really played the Aussies um, and, what, Japan, and I'm trying to remember who else was in that Pac-4 series um, in, in the in the last year. They haven't played a Northern Hemisphere-style team. One of the things that Wayne Smith's tried to do with his team is get them playing a faster brand of football, I, and, and I guess that is to counteract the extra physicality that he felt England and France showed on the end of season two or so. Uh, this is going to be interesting. I, I mean, you've, to be able to play fast, you've got to have front foot ball, right? So, do they have enough physicality to match a uh, Six Nations type team in Wales? We're going to find out a lot about this team today.
4: Yeah, it's good. It's good that they're getting a uh, Six Nations team in their pool because it will show a lot of the northern hemispheres what what sort of physicality they bring to the to the table. And, and and it's good because Chelsea Bremen and I fought last week against Australia. but so that's probably the best game I've seen her play in terms of being physical. Um, Australia took it took it to us in that first 30 minutes and they were physical with us and we were a little bit rattled. But that's a good... I, I actually think that we've got a, we got a lot out of that game because now they're asking to do it again against Wales and Wales will come at you quite, quite physical. They are absolutely going to come all guns blazing. They've got players in their front to do that as well. And so you're going to have to ask Chelsea again to step up and really show that she can get front football. Um, Athena, uh, Wainoho again, and Kunalo Vali, um, they're really good ball, ball carriers as well. But again, you're going to ask them to get, just be a little bit better than what they were last week or the week before.
0: From, from, I know it's only early in the tournament, but from what you've seen so far, is there a bridge between those top sides, or have the other sides, like Japan and Fiji, have they made enough progress that there's genuine competitiveness throughout the board uh, from women's rugby, and, and it has actually got a lot stronger?
4: I definitely think the Six Nations teams have got a lot stronger. I, I think you can see, um, you can just see, see it in the way they're playing. They're playing. Like you know, um, you've got the likes of Jasmine Joyce who who went to the Olympics for Wales and things like that. Um, the North American teams, I think they've struggled a little bit, um, and a lot of those girls play again. Those the USA team, a lot of girls play in that USA uh, the English Premiership, and I just they just seem to be missing something. And um, I've coached a couple of girls in in the USA and. I felt that Alev was a bit off, even though she played. you know, she played well, but um for her she was a bit off. Eti was a bit off as well. She did, you know, dropped a lot of ball. So I think the gap has widened um, through that space there. Japan for me is probably they're not gonna be contenders, but they've actually improved since the last World Cup and um, so there's, there's a huge gap there as well. But again, Fiji, I was surprised with Fiji when they came out against England. They gave, Again, they gave them the first 20 minutes. Was it quite, was quite entertaining. So there is still that gap. But um, again, if, if those nations start putting resources in like the rest of the nations have, you might see them closing a little bit.
2: Um, Mary, just before we let you go, uh, uh I be keen to get a prediction from you for uh, this the, this game because, and I know games aren't played on paper, but we saw how the game against the Wollaroos went for the, the Ferns. We saw how close Wales and Scotland were. Can we take anything from that? I mean, is this going to be closer than most people are expecting? I mean, that you can't even get a bet on the Ferns on the TAB head-to-head. Yeah, it's like a dollar. It's a, it's a
4: terrible bet, isn't it? Yeah. Um, look, the last four occasions in, in the World Cup, the Black Ferns have won in 91, 2010, 2014, and also 2017. So, so history has predicted that they should win. The last time in 2017 they won 44-12. I think it's kind of, it. I think it's going to be up around that. I think that the Black friends are going to put some points on this team, but I don't think it's going to be an easy, easy point, because I think the first 20 minutes Wales are going to come out and actually try and beat them out. And this is a good opportunity for the Black Ferns to show that they need that that they can handle that physicality, by still going through the middle, by trying trying to find that space just behind the ruck area, and then using their, their back three to, to score some points.
2: There you go. The Ferns thirteen plus, according to Mitty Baker. That's what you just said, Mitty. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll hold you to that, mate. We'll hold you to that. Uh, enjoy it. Go and enjoy those games this afternoon, mate. And uh, thanks very much for your time. Okay, thank you, guys. Yes, uh, Mitty Baker there uh, talking Black Ferns. That k- kicks off on Spark Sport at three fifteen this afternoon. It is one twenty-seven here on the Rugby Run on SCNZ. When we come back, Tony Johnson joins us. He wants to talk All Black fifteen and the NPC semi-finals. 28 away from 2 o'clock here on the Rugby Run. This text through on double eight double three from Ken. Hey, Ricardo and Justin, my boys, turned in a shocker on Friday. But Wellington were brilliant and Bayer plenty played well. Also, not sure on some of those Canterbury Fords named in that All Black 11. But anyway, well done, Canterbury. Should be a great final. Cheers from Ken. Uh, TJ, I know you would have watched uh, that game and you called the Canterbury game Um, but as a Harbour fan, you must be kind of, well, somebody who has Harbour allegiances, should we say, you must be feeling a little bit like Auckland left it all out there in that game and then didn't turn up for the semi-final, which was a bit disappointing.
1: Yeah, Harbour rate payer. Um, (laughs) Good afternoon, fellas, how are you? Good, mate, yourself? Um, Yeah, good, good. Um, Yeah, but it's sort of kind of reflective of Auckland's season, really. They've been a bit flaky. Um, At times, they've been really good, and then they've come up short at other times um, and in the end they were just outplayed I, look there's something really compelling about Wellington at the moment I think we're going to have a great final um, Wellington at the moment are just full steam ahead they're playing with so much confidence I think it's the best balanced Wellington team that I've seen for a long time you've got the veritable mix of you've got some old heads in there the likes of Pick Cowan and um, uh, Dominic Bird. I, I guess you'd almost put Julian Savia in that category as well. Uh, Jackson Garden Bishop, and you've got some astonishing young talent as well. Confident young talent. You know, Reuben Love, uh, Peter Luckey, who's just been lights out. Um, so to me, it, it you know, Wellington just overpowered them, and, and Canterbury, uh, sorry, Auckland just didn't have any answers.
0: Hey, TJ, thanks for joining us today, mate. I know it's a travel day for you and a Sunday, and um, I hope you managed to seek out that glass of red wine that you're so feverishly looking for, for the last time I saw you last night but um, you, you spoke last night in the commentary about uh, the game in 2000. Uh, Wellington and it's not a happy hunting ground historically for them is it? Do you think that they can mentally because they're quite a young side with a young captain get through and pass that to try and go down to Canterbury and win a final?
1: Yeah I think, I think they're capable of it. Marshy um, and the answer, by the way, is yes, um, I did. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think they are. And what I is it, what I like about them is that they're just playing with uh, bravado, real real confidence, and that's what you need. And I think the last two weeks we've seen signs. We've seen teams go down uh, Northland, although uh, you know they, they were beaten in the end. But I think there were times where you know they were really taking it um, to um, you know, they were taking it to Canterbury. And last night, we saw Bayer Plenty, even though they, they kind of fired blanks for, for a while. They defended really well in the first half. But really fired blanks on attack, missed a couple of shots at goal, which might have, you know, been useful. But they came back at them as well. And it really took a, a, a brilliant piece of play by uh, Rameka Poihepe to, to change the flow of a game around. So I, I just think this, this is a, a Wellington team that will see that uh, Canterbury, if they can you know, have a go at them and and get something going up front. Uh, If they can get some momentum going, they, they would be a very, very hard team to defend.
2: Do you think in a way, TJ, the fact that it is a young Wellington team, they don't have any of that emotional baggage maybe some older Wellington players do have, so they don't have that hanging on them?
1: Well, I know a lot of Wellington rugby fans have got a lot of emotional baggage about it. Um, <laughs> but Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, Marshy better tell you more about that sort of thing than me. By, by the way, uh, just looking back, we were um, talking about that final just very briefly last night. Back in 2000, it was. And it was one of the best finals there's ever been. And the key to it was, um, and Marshy, um, you, you were struggling to recall whether or not you played in the game. I can, I can <laughs> tell you that you did. And, okay. and uh, the, the the key to the game was the way Wellington started and and there was a certain Jonah Lomba who just was on fire and and got them off to a great start. And I think that'll be the key to it. if, if Wellington can you know get off to a good start, get their game going uh, and 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 start playing with the sort of just rip and bust confidence that they've been playing the last few weeks, uh, then I, I think it's got the makings of a classic final. I, I still think obviously um, Canterbury at home. And let's hope they get a good crowd. Uh, They've got to be favourites. But but to me, um, you know, Wellington, they're a shot at this.
0: Obviously, I wasn't the key to that game in 2000. I've got that well and truly now. Thanks for that. (laughs) The memories are coming flooding back. (laughs) Hey, let's, let's, while we can, um, just before we want to move on, because we want to chat to you about this All Blacks 15, but just briefly... Well, what what um, has you know when you look at the, the the competition in general there's been a lot of chat and I know you've commented about it before so I won't ask you again about the evens and odds thing but in terms of the rest of the the mobs uh, that, that have made up this this competition well, who's impressed you and and also Tasman probably not the season that you were expecting out of them as well
4: yeah
1: um I'm just starting to think I might have put the hex on Tasman. I actually went down and fronted at their uh, their season launch, and I think maybe that sealed their fate. Uh, maybe it's my fault. Uh, oh, look, they change of coaching staff. They did, and it, look, it's not really an excuse in this day and age because teams are supposed to have depth, but they did have a, a really bad run of injuries, and of course their success meant they've, they've lost more players than ever to the All Blacks, so they they just weren't there. Um, we were good enough this year, and they'll bounce back from that, I'm sure, because they've got too good of an organisation not to. But I just love the way, uh, to me, one of the teams that um, really lit this competition up was Northland. Um, yeah. You know, they're, they're doing some great things in Northland rugby. They've got a really good leadership up there, good administration, and some really good personalities driving the game. They put together a good team, uh, and again, you know, some exciting youngsters, but Good to see that, you know, the likes of Rennie Ranger turning out still and just his presence must mean something. So I thought they were a team uh, that really contributed. They had a really good win over Auckland. I thought they had plenty. Um, They had a a great run too. Um, Okay, they came up a bit short um, in in the semi final, but I thought they um, certainly have contributed. They played some terrific rugby. Wellington, as I say, uh, they've had a, a, a great season. On a really good run of form, and of course, you know, Canterbury long since been a, a standard setter, so they they were some of the teams that really stood out for me. Um, and but in the end, you know, I, I, what a season! W- Wellington they w- win the Ranfurly Shield and, and a shot at winning the final. Uh, you know, it could turn out to be a great year for them.
2: It could be, it really could be, uh, TJ. I mean, that. You mentioned Jonah before. It looks like uh, Wellington have unearthed another great winger too. And this kid, uh, Osofa Almoa, uh, that third try for Wellington, mate, he he looked like a winger all day, didn't he? How how far did he go? About 30 yards of the ball, absolutely screamed in.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's always been an eye-catching player, hasn't he? Uh, And, you know, that's where he's best when, you know, you get him into a little bit of space. He's hellishly hard to to stop. I mean, there are still obviously areas of their game that they, they want to work on. Um, but you'd you have to think. Although there's there's quite a good crop of young hookers coming through. I've been really impressed. George Bell came off the bench last night, and the first movement they had, he handled the ball about four or five times in it. So there's plenty of challenges around, and oh, it seems like they want to hang on to Cody Taylor and Dane Coles through the World Cup because of their vast experience next year. But there's a real crop of young hookers, led, of course, by Samasone Kaukeaho, um, really just to kind of step into the breach that those two have dominated um, for, for the last five or six years.
0: Well, well, speaking about that, TJ, and obviously looking
1: at our development and at our
0: future, the, the naming of this uh, All Blacks 15, uh, what did you make of it? Uh, do you think that they're playing enough games? And what did you make of the, the selection process
1: and the players that are going? I'm not sure I know what I make of it, Marshy. Um is it a you know? First of all, I'm not all that keen on it being called the All Blacks 15. I know that they have uh, you know commercial imperatives and whatever, and they've got to keep the brand out there. But to me, it's it's not an All Black side, and I, I personally mm. don't think it should be called that. Uh, to me, it looks like a New Zealand Barbarians team, just mm. the way it's made up. Because yes, you've got the young talent that you want to see going away on a development tour, but they've also got uh, quite a few older players as well. And look, there's nothing wrong with having the experience of, say, you know, TJ Petanata there uh, to to lead the side, uh, or, you know, rub off all the things that he's learned over the years. Um, but you know, Bryce and had a great year, um, and he's a terrific player, great bloke, in, in that. And I'm not um, it, He's 33 years of age, and, and I, 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 it's just an interesting selection to me. It, it, it asks the question. Um, you know, what? what is this team supposed to be about? Um, and, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just sort of not quite sure. And the other thing, it's a hell of a long way to go to play just two games. Now, you'll remember, back in, uh going back to 2000, uh, there was an All Black yep. tour. And at the same time as the All Blacks were playing, mainly in France, I think there was Japan and then France for a couple of games and one in Italy, there was a New Zealand A team over there. It just happened to mm. be under the leadership of uh, Darren Shan, manager, uh, and Robbie Deans and and Steve Hansen, uh, while they were still good buddies, uh, coaching the team. And that launched a whole bunch of uh, careers. You know, Mills Mulyaina, Jerry Collins, Chris Jack, players like that. Um, And, you know, it really served a purpose. But they played four games. These guys are going all the way over there to only play two. Um, And you wonder what, what... you know, can be achieved by that. Island A and the Barbarians are playing. It, but it would have been great to see a, a couple more uh, games added onto that. And I also think, too, I just think there's some, some players desperately unlucky not to have been included. We talked about Kurt Eklund last night. Um, Menaki Selby Rickett is another one. Sean Stevenson's another one. And poor old Peter Gasso Kula, who early on in the year was a test all-black, and now he can't make either of these sides.
0: Very valid points, and I agree with you on all of them. Do you? Here's one for you then. Do, do you feel that the All Black selectors should have had the influence they had in this side? Would it have been different if Leon McDonald uh, and his coaching crew, uh, Clayton McMillan, um, were able to shape this team, pick this side on what they see from their perspective, where possibly our future is, what sort of side that they would like to take over to that part of the world, and a game plan that they'd like to implement uh, to, to win these games? Do you think it would have been a much different looking side? Because this is basically a, a team the All Black selectors have picked.
1: Well, coaches. Yeah. I, I might I might do the old Cesc Blazy here and say, well, that is a hypothetical situation. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, try and duck it. I might duck it. Um, yeah. I mean... You, you look at eight Canterbury forwards in the mix, marshy You'd have to think that uh, Jace Ryan had a had a, had a wee bit yeah, of influence yeah. on the selection.
0: Yeah, I think, yeah, I think you're I right. Mean,
1: I, 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 you know, to me, if you if you, if you're in charge of coaching a team, like, you know, why wouldn't you be allowed to select it as well? I mean, I know mm. why they'll they'll want to have certain players in the mix. And the other thing too is that if they if they have injuries. And, I mean, you know, they've only got 35 players on this all-black team so, you know, if they get an injury, what do they do? Do they call in someone from this team or do they just try and guts it out with 34 as Nisbo once said? Um, so, I, I know, for example, in 2000, I think Dion Waller got called out of that, uh, that uh, what was called the New Zealand A-team, which is probably a more appropriate tag and he, he got called into the all-black. So there might be a bit of that comes into the thinking as well. There might be a bit of messaging to some of these guys, look, you're not in the All Blacks, but we, we, we still really like what you bring. And so we've put you in this team, even though you might be around the age of you know, 30, 31, that sort of thing. Uh, so there, there might be some of that thinking in it as well. Um, but as I say, it, it, for me, it's just quite hard to put my finger on what exactly this team is supposed to be.
2: Yeah, you're right, TJ. I mean, I look at it and think it's not really a development team because you've got people like Bryce Heeman, TJ, and, and, and things in there. Um, it feels like it's just a, we need that, ex, that next tier of players to have some games uh, before the World Cup, and that's what we're going to do. Um, yeah. if, if that is the case, who who's the unluckiest not to be going?
1: Um, well, I, I think, you know, we we talked about it last night, and... You know, I, I certainly wasn't firing a shot at the guys who have been selected, uh, and one of whom, or two of whom, were playing last night uh, Brodie McAllister and uh, George Bell. But as I say, I, to, to me, what else could Kurt Eklund have done this year to, to get selected in one of these teams? I mean, to me, he's actually, I would have had him close to the, the All Black side. Uh, he had a really, really good Super Rugby campaign with the Blues. He's been terrific for Bay of Plenty. He plays like a loose forward, carries the ball really well. He was the most accurate line-out thrower in that game last night in tricky conditions. So to me, he's the most unlucky. But there's another one, and and uh, look, I've always been a bit of a fan of the kid, um, um, and so I might be a little bit biased here, but to me, Sean Stevenson, um, they haven't really picked a specialist fullback in this side. Uh, to, to me, I, I think, on the form that he's shown in, in super and in sorry in the NPC, does, does that mean nothing? Because he, he has been quite brilliant.
2: Do you think it's because he showed up in a Redcliffe Dolphins t-shirt at, at training?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that. Well, I was going to say that, that that's one that won't go away now because he hasn't been picked in the mm, team. So, exactly. Uh, I mean, who knows? But but. Uh, as side, I say, that's just a personal thing. Um, look, the, 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 the interesting thing is there could well be another a, a couple of changes. I'm not sure that uh, Angus Tavale, what what uh, his injury status is, but I I do understand that uh, Tavita uh, Mafileo, who who played very well for Bay of Plenty last night, that he might be kind of on standby, and I'm not sure about how um, Brim Gatland. Uh, he took quite a heavy blow uh, playing for North Harbour, so there, there might yet be a change. Uh, there might be a chance for someone like Stevenson to to come into in, in, into that team um, as well if if there are a couple of late late changes. But just getting back to the point, I, you know, I, I just singled out Bryce To me, he's had a terrific year. He's been outstanding for the Blues and for Auckland. Uh, he's been a great servant. He's played the sevens for New Zealand. Uh, he and Almuo, thirty three and twenty eight, are are they seen genuinely as All Black prospects um, or, or Or did they just want their their experience there? That 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 was the point that I was making about them, which you know, as I say, I'd quite like to have a to hear someone sort of explain to me what what it is that they are trying to achieve with this this selection. Um, But look, you know, good luck to them. I mean, it's it's uh, it's a great opportunity, and and for these you know players that I've just been mentioning, and and he's one of them. it, It is a reward for great form.
2: Hey TJ, um, thanks very much for coming on, mate. I, I really appreciate you giving us some time, and looking forward to this end of year tour and see what we do see out of it. Uh, so you know, thanks again. And uh, maybe, maybe if Bryn Gatlin doesn't make it, Fergus Burke did enough in that semi final to to cement well, his place. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah
1: that, that's 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 the other name that uh, you know he he's had a he's had a very good season, but. You know, I look before we get on the tour I think we've got a really great weekend of rugby to look forward to as you know as well as the women 's world cup there's there's some terrific stuff there it's a great weekend next weekend because i think we've got uh, we've got finals um in well both in both islands in in the heartland i think uh, there's uh, Ruatoria, there's a game there as well so you know it, it, it's the end of what what I think has been a, a really good uh you know, a domestic competition, NPC and Heartland. So let's hope we get rugby to match, you know, what it's been like, you know, all the way through.
2: Definitely. Definitely. Good stuff, yeah. TJ. Go enjoy the rest of your Sunday afternoon, mate. Enjoy that Black Ferns game, eh? Okay, guys. Cheers. Tony Johnson there with us, uh, talking uh, NPC and that All Blacks 15. It is 10 away from two. It's six away from two here on SENZ, the rugby run with you through till 2.30. After that, we cross to Wellington for live coverage of the Wellington Phoenix Central Coast Mariners. Uh, I just wanted to quickly get a reaction from you, though, Marshy. Um, I, I don't know if you w- would have seen it, but the fact that Pro East Coast last year snapped a New Zealand record losing streak and then this year have made the Lahore Cup final. They're going to host it. That is a massive turnaround.
0: Oh, it certainly is. And I think probably in the last decade, uh, you'd have to say, regardless of having bad seasons or good seasons like they've had uh, this year, that they're kind of a a big success story. You know, the the, the entertainment um, sort of team of of provincial rugby. You know, they've just got such a great following. Uh, They've had some former All Blacks uh, turn out in their colours. And I I think, you know, it it epitomises basically really what uh, grassroots rugby in New Zealand is all about. And when the team can be successful and, um, you know, uh, host semis and finals at home, it only reinforces that the, the, the greater good of the game is actually winning. And, um, yeah, to, to have a massive turnaround like that Uh, is absolutely brilliant. That'll be one hell of a game. My goodness gracious me, it will be.
2: Yeah, be fantastic. Uh, They go head-to-head with Mid Canterbury next weekend. Uh, We're going to continue our rugby chat in the next hour on uh, the New Zealand, uh, well, the All Black 15, I should say. Uh, We'll talk Rugby World Cup, and we will talk... NPC Heartland and things as well, plus your calls. If you've got something you want to throw in the mix, 0800 150 811, 0800 150 811. The Rugby Run with you, Thriddle 2.30 on SENZ. Just gone two o'clock here on SENZ. This is the Rugby Run. Ricardo Ball and Justin Marshall with you from the Women's World Cup. Canada lead Italy 17-5. Come from 5-0 down earlier in the uh, game. uh, Of course, if you missed those... Uh, If you missed those scores from the NPC, Wellington, massive big win over Auckland, 54-19. Canterbury, 24-10 over Bay of Pliny. In the Meads Cup, South Canterbury, 76-9. They put uh, King Country to the sword. Wanganui 25-18 winners over the Swamp Foxes. uh, So the defending champs are out. And in the Lahore Cup, it's mid-Canterbury beat North Otago, 31-15. While Ngāti Paraui's coast were too good for Horofeno Whenua winning 37-30. Justin... What's your, what's your take on where the game, uh, the NPC final next week, is going to be won between uh, Canterbury and Wellington?
0: Well, I certainly feel in the last couple of weeks, uh, Canterbury have thrown, uh, shown a couple of chinks in their armour, um, and I think they'd be the first to admit that. They wouldn't have been happy with areas like I spoke about earlier in the show, uh, the breakdown, uh, their, their set piece was dominated by... Have plenty in general in that uh, first half, although they then did uh, come back and um, you know s- sort of reinforce that they are a, g- a very good scrum and lineout uh, in the second half and, and particularly late in the match. And they improved their breakdown work, so they showed a little bit of vulnerability there. That uh, they are a very impressive defensive side. Um, so I-, I certainly think that teams that uh, have been really positive with ball attitude this year have uh, had some success against them. And uh, Northland, they struggled against Northland in both the games they played uh, against um, that side. Um, Bay of Plenty showed last night that when they got multiple phases together, they could put them under pressure. So uh, I think uh, what what they are is a very methodical side. When when they are slightly out of sorts, it doesn't take long for them to re- re-correct the wrongs or to re um refine their mojo they find it pretty quickly so when when you've got them vulnerable you need to pounce because they'll they are too good a side to let momentum um take control for long periods of the game so they'll have a, 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 that's a, that's a part of their vulnerability as having periods where they switch off um, those periods you've got to be good enough to grab the game away from them or put them under scoreboard pressure so i'm thinking if wellington wellington can do that then you know that'll, that'll make life a lot more difficult for canterbury but man when they do find their rhythm <laughs> like last night in that second half I, I i can't recall them really making too many errors at all mm. and, and 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 i'm talking you know handling errors their kicking strategy is very very good uh and, and in general then once they they tidied up their their basics of the game they they really didn't make a lot of mistakes so you have to be really on your metal when you're playing this Canterbury side, but you know, Wellington have shown that they can, they can stick in the fight for 80 minutes, that they don't, they're not having the fluctuations they usually do. So yeah, probably yeah. Grabbing those little moments. Kurt Eklund explained it really well in this post game interview with us on Sky, when he said, you know, we we were, we were in this game, we are in the fight, we felt good, but th- 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 this is what Canterbury do to you. You know, they, they have these opportunities or these moments in the game and they're they are ruthless when they get them. And I think that summed the game up pretty well.
2: Yeah, the other thing that I uh, I was interested in is the way that Bayer Pliny turned Canterbury around on a several occasions with was with short kicks over the top, um, out wide, so they would get it maybe two passes wide and then the centre or second five would just, just put a kick in over the top and they turned Canterbury around effectively doing that and change the point of attack really well. I mean... If, the, yeah. if you're Wellington, you're looking at that, I mean, you're getting Reuben Love to inject himself into their back line and do something similar, aren't you?
0: Yeah, you are. Absolutely. You know, they certainly are like any other side. They they look to get up um, with really rapid line speed. Uh, and because of that, you know, that that is producing a really flat situation and then, and creating space in behind that defensive line, uh, whether it's out wide or uh, just in behind the centres or even just, in, uh, you know, in behind... Uh, where 12 is so th- those are again areas where you've got to show Canterbury something different not not let them get settled in their defense uh I think equally the one thing that Canterbury does have which not a lot of people think about is they have massive x-factor you know p- players that can flip the game um just in a breath and and uh did that mm. last night with, with his scintillating break he beat defenders and Next minute, they were scoring under the you know, basically right beside the post and, and pushing that game out to uh, you know, eight points, which made it difficult for Bay of Plenty. You look across the board, Shea Fih can open the game up. and Mata Ali looked dangerous all night. Uh, you got George Bridge on the other wing. Um, you got two experienced halves and Hines and Drummond who are you know, they're, they're to a degree world class players. Um, both of them have been in around that international scene, and then a uh, a a, a hard-working forward pack with the likes of Franks and Romano and Billy Harmon in there, and Christie, who's in the form of his life. So, you have a look at that side, you see, man, they're not bad. Um, so, if they're having an off day, they've got players and individuals that can spark a game, you know, because they, they're, they're not they're not overawed by being in big finals, uh, and and they'll just go out and do what they do and do it well, because that's what world-class players do. So do Wellington. But that, that, to me, is their biggest advantage. Yeah, they'll see some, like I said, kinks in the armour, maybe a set-piece opportunity, maybe a little chip over the top. But in general, they need TJ Perenata to do something inspirational. They need Julian Savier to create something out of nothing. You know, They, they need some of their big X-Factor players, like Proctor, like Moore who can run like a wing. Somewhere, those guys have got to do something pretty special. And, and if they can, and they can fire on the day, boy, we are in for some sort of an evening next Saturday night in Christchurch.
2: Yeah, it's going to be a great final, mate. Uh, looking forward to that one. You mentioned George Bridge. Of course, uh, he's... Uh, now she'll should, should forever be known as Montpellier's George Bridge. Um, he, he is off a good honour yeah. mate. Um, he, you know, He's had a, a bit rough. I mean I know he was kind of a fringe all black but then this season in Super Rugby gone he hardly got a look in for the Crusaders either. Um, was it anything he's done or do you think it's just that they had better options?
0: I don't think it's anything George Bridge has done. Uh, he, he's been a victim of circumstances, unfortunately, uh, because of the emergence of listifying Anuku at the Crusaders, uh, who basically took his spot. Um, he, he had some opportunities when they were experimenting with firing Anuku at centre, but uh, post the, that little experiment, and obviously them getting players back like Jack Goodhue into the the Crusaders then. Uh, really needed to select throwing the because he was in such good a form um, and 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 because of that george bridge um you know he he became a bench player and and at times not even out on the field and and when you're not playing super rugby week in, week out uh, you lose your rhythm and you lose your momentum and then you get thrown an opportunity out of nowhere and uh and the guy that you're trying to sort of beat out of the jerseys in sensational form uh it's it's very difficult to try and you know, uh, do something quite spectacular or have consistently a couple of unbelievable games to try and change the coach's mindset uh, because he's a different type of player uh, than than what Whain Nguyenuku is and he's a different player than what Seve Reese is. Um, so, look, I, I, would George Bridge be going to Montpellier uh, if he was playing for the Highlanders? Um, would he still be in the All Blacks if he was playing for... Uh, say the Highlanders who were a bit, bit short in their outside backs mm. and, and there's, there, there was an opportunity maybe for him to go there? Possibly not. Would we still have been seeing the best out of him because he's still a high-quality player? Yeah. But unfortunately, this is the problem with that Canterbury system that they have a lot of players that could probably command starts across the rest of the country that don't often even get on the bench. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's the that, that's been the issue with George Bridge. He obviously would have had, when it became aware that he was looking to move on from the Crusaders, options to go uh, within New Zealand to other franchises. But I think he's been probably looking at the fact that, uh, you know, he could command a hell of a lot more money now that he's not an All Black, which would have made up a big part of his salary in the last two to three years. That's no longer there by going further afield.
2: It's interesting. I talked to him on Friday and asked him mm. that. Asked him about you know the Highlanders. Sure, you know you surely you walk into that team or even I, I'd heard uh, Stephen Donald had mentioned the Chiefs had had chats to him. But I th- yeah. what does it say to you about the Crusaders' uh, environment and that Crusaders culture? When you know his reply, and I, I can't remember it word for word, was basically if I didn't if I couldn't play for the Crusaders, I didn't want to play for anyone.
0: Well, that that's. Stereotypical of the way that the Crusaders um, create that culture, and I tell you what, it was a hell of a big um, crowbar that they had to find, or basically probably get somebody to make to 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 get underneath Luke Romano to make him move. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, quite possibly four to five years ago, he should have moved on because you know, the, but he was he he just loved that environment and he couldn't see himself anywhere else. Um, I think the fact that he had a former Crusader, uh, a former Crusader coach as well, approach him and, and and say to him, "Hey, you can you can play week to week with me, and um, hey, it, it's not it's not too bad out there with what I'm creating. Um, you you'll still be able to go hunting, mate. You'll still be able to do the things you love to do, but you, you'll find yourself playing more footy. But it took a lot to move him, and and I think someone like George Bridges is the same." Uh, I guess the other side of it is, if I look back to my my career, um, the, the other side of it is you, you taste, and you're very lucky to taste, quite a significant amount of success in that environment. Uh, and, and so you, you consider to yourself, you know, what am I going for? You know, why am I moving to another New Zealand franchise to win a Super Rugby title? Well, I've actually done that five or six times um you know so is that going to reinvigorate me or are the challenges and the opportunities to play in the Heineken cup uh to play in the south of France to experience playing you know a a different style and type of rugby on on fields that I've never played on before you know all of all of that comes into the mix Mm -hmm. that was very much my mindset um that wasn't that I didn't was I was stubborn enough or or too arrogant to go play for another New Zealand franchise? It was like, well, are they going to give me anything more than what I've already been given at the Crusaders, or do I want to go and experience something that's going to keep me playing, keep me wanting to put the boots on and go and train and play? I think that's probably a big part of what George Bridge um, sort of considered, uh, and and what he's ultimately come up with in in terms of keeping him in the game more and keeping his longevity.
2: It was funny you mentioned about Luke Romano because I I interviewed Luke during the Super Rugby season for the Blues show that I was doing. And uh, I brought Mm -hmm. it up with him that after the first game against the Crusaders in Christchurch, he was interviewed post-match and referred to the Blues as they. Uh, (laughs) And he said, yeah, it's a a hard habit to break. It's
0: a hard habit to break. It is. You know? Yeah, yeah. Particularly for somebody that... um, you know has just bled for that jersey and tasted so much success and uh and just loves loves that team but uh hey i'll tell you what there's probably quite a few players coaches administrators and supporters that are happy to see him in a blues jersey this year because he he didn't change the style and the way that he plays, did he? He was outstanding for them. Yeah, no, he's
2: fantastic. It's uh, 13 past two here on SENZ. This is the rugby run. Uh, we're with you for another 15 minutes before Daniel McCartney and David Choate take over with a live coverage of the Phoenix versus the Central Coast Mariners. So if you've got any questions for Marshy on that AB 15 or on the MPC semi finals and final uh, or anything else to do with rugby, get it into us. Double eight, double three is the Tempa Bedpost Text Machine. It's 2.18 here on S.E.N.Z. The Rugby Run, Ricardo Ball, Justin Marshall with you. And Marshall, we've had a text through from Mike on double eight double three. He said it's been a vintage NPC comp. The Canterbury talent development is to the fore again. Some serious uh, new talent emerging. But just out of interest, who would you drop from that All Black Selection 15 to make room for Sean Stevenson in the back line?
0: Oh, wow. Good question. Uh, Look, absolutely, I think Sean Stevenson's been one of the standout players, not only in, in the NPC, but also uh, in Super Rugby this year. Uh, so he's he's one of those Enigma players that can play on the wing, can play at fullback. He's quite versatile. He can slot in at 10. So you would have to look at that side and think, well, who, who plays um, multiple positions in that All Blacks 15 that we know enough about? Um, that we could probably sacrifice and 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 see whether or not Sean Stevenson's got the the capability of stepping up. And believe it or not, that would probably be someone like Damien McKenzie. Um, mm. And and people would be going, what, what? You get rid of McKenzie? You get rid of? But we know what Damien McKenzie offers. He's he's an All Black. He can play uh, fullback for the All Blacks. He can play ten for the All Blacks. So. Really, just getting him over there, I think, has just given him more rugby off the back of Japan. But if you wanted to retain Sean Stevenson and, and get rid of that, uh, I guess, that league cloud hanging over and above him and, and say, you know, we, we're we interested. Uh, we want to send you on this team. That, that's probably one player that you could sacrifice because you know what you're going to get from Damian McKenzie. And you um, I certainly feel that that, that, that won't change, you know, and uh, he, he's quite established. So that's where I'd go with that. It.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because um, you've also got Ruben Love in this team, but he's listed as an outside back. But we know Ruben Love can mm. play 10. So, I mean, he could play, be that guy that covers. Yep.
0: That's right. Absolutely. And Bryn Gatlin, it would be great to see him get the opportunity, you know. So, uh, again, that offers up. The equation of whereabouts um look to me when you saw the team written down in paper but that sometimes doesn't mean anything uh that he was listed as a 10 mckenzie so uh, you know again what are you getting out of that do you think you're better to, to be um giving bryn gatlin or ruben love or somebody else an opportunity in that jersey you know the other part of the conundrum is you know they, they probably want some experience out there um and and neither of those Three players, uh, apart from Bryn Gatman, who's been around for quite a while, probably offer them that big game experience. So, you know, that's probably in their thinking as well, which does count a little bit against Sean Stevenson, although he has had quite a few um, amount of time and games with the New Zealand Maldi.
2: Yeah, I mean, he was outstanding in that uh, all black, uh, Moldy all black team against Ireland this season, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, a couple of other texts that yeah. have come through. Hey, Justin, why do you think Foster won't play Jordan at fullback? Both Barrett brothers have failed to impress the season in that position. Why is he so stubborn?
0: Gee, I tell you what, the questions that are coming in are very good ones. it's uh, another valid point. And um, look, I, I'm not quite sure why he feels that uh, he, he isn't, isn't able to play Will Jordan at fullback, apart from the fact he doesn't have enough faith in anyone else to play on the right wing. That, that, that's the only thought process that I can bring into it because I certainly feel that Will Jordan is a much, much more dangerous uh, rugby player when he is coming from the back with depth, with better vision. You know, I've, I've said this before that when when you play on the wing, yes, you get licensed to roam, but that comes from a flat aspect on attack. So yes, you can take a couple of meters, but in general, when a team's attacking your vision is limited to much more lateral. Whereas when you come from fullback, you're seeing more of the field in front of you. And it's very easy to describe, isn't it? Because just throw the guy back 15 metres and you can see the entire width of the field. But where, when you're flat two metres back from the back line where wingers are and where they sit when you're in your attacking shape, it's much harder. And Will Jordan, just—he's he, insti- he's a really good instinctive rugby player. Gets himself in the right positions. Gets good. He runs good support lines, and he does that best from fullback. That's the only way that I. The, the only the only reason that I can come up with is he doesn't trust anyone else as much as he does. Even though he's probably not getting the best out of Will Jordan to play right wing.
2: Uh, and someone else has also texted and asking about Tom Christie, saying he was massive last night. Can't believe he's missed it. Uh, will he be the next overseas? I mean, he's only 24, so I think he'd probably bide his time a couple of years yet.
0: Yeah, well, the Crusaders, you know, when they lose someone like Blackadder, they they, they do look a bit thin in the loose forwards. So I would imagine that they're looking to offer him a good contract and keep him around to stop that from happening. Um, and even regardless of where the All Blacks are sitting at the moment, I think that he certainly has enough uh, firepower to command a good contract to, to stick around. And other franchises would want him as well, so... Yeah, I think, again, he's probably just the victim, once again, of the the trend of where the loose forwards' shape, size are going at the moment. That doesn't mean he can't get there.
2: Uh, Ken has also messaged through Says, uh, Don't forget Zahn Sullivan He would have made this uh, All Black 15 Except yeah. for injury And he'll be very close to the squ- uh, to the Cup squad next season I know Joe Schmidt is a big fan of his I guess that highlights another reason For Sean Stevenson to maybe look at other options Given Jordy's in front of him probably Bowden's obviously played there Will Jordan's another option McKenzie's back And then you've got guys like Zahn Sullivan coming through
0: it's interesting about Zane Sullivan. I take your point, Ken. Um, absolutely. And again, another guy that's had a great season and unfortunately we haven't seen a full season out of him, which would have been brilliant and he could have forced for that side. But I don't, I see him very similar to Sean Stevenson in the way he plays. Mm. Uh, he, he kicks a lot more um, and, and has probably got a, a, a better kicking strategy coming from the backfield than Sean Stevenson, but he's probably not got that slight X factor, that footwork that Stevenson has. But I would imagine that if it boiled down to it, and he was fit, uh, it, it would be a situation where they, that, those two, were like for like, and were are basically going for the same spot. Which means, uh, you know, that um, if they were going to be considered both of them, that someone else in the mix would probably be missing out. Probably someone like Bryce Hing yeah, um, who again I know enough about uh, and and the age that he is, but they obviously haven't gone down that pathway for either. Well, obviously. Um, Sullivan's not fit and available but for Stevenson so if he's going to be in the frame I think he'd be in the same frame and mindset as Sullivan uh Stevenson
2: yeah and I know Zane Sullivan he uh I, I talked to him during the super season as well and he, he sees himself yeah. very much as a 10 um so which is interesting because uh, that's where he played all the schoolboy footy
0: yeah and, and a big concern is um, the amount of time that a lot of our players that feel that they are a 10, are playing out of position. Look like mm. at Peter Feta. Yeah. You know, um, with the Blues. You know, like, a lot of these guys are not getting the time that they need in the right jersey if that's their jersey. And Mackenzie's another prime example of that. Yeah, he is
2: indeed. Hey, this has been the Rugby Run on SCNZ, Marshy. Thanks for your time, mate. Go well. Enjoy your afternoon.
0: I will. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy your afternoon of sport. Go to Phoenix. Go
2: you know, the Phoenix. Yeah, that is up next right here on SENZ with David Choate and Daniel McCarty.
1: Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why
2: tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely
4: and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 132191.